When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fair. I'm joined today by Tyrone Marshall. Hello, Rich. And by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. You were both missing last week. Struck down of Euros fever, I'm guessing. Uh, we've had uh, the start of the major international tournament. One week since the transfer window has been open as well. We'll look at those two sort of factors in relation to United as we go ahead in this podcast, uh, Ty, the last week, any food for thought for United from what they've seen? Um, at the Euros? Um, oh, it's hard to say, really, isn't it? I mean, obviously, of their main target, Sancho, surprisingly, didn't even make the England squad um, and Trippier played at left-back. And then beyond that, I thought Varane was very good last night. Didn't think Pau Torres was brilliant um, against Sweden. Another centre-back United are on. And... I guess, you know, it feels like we already kind of know who United's targets are this year and it doesn't feel like there's any surprises in the works. I guess that's the beauty of a, of a surprise, really. But no, I'm, I'm not sure they'll, they'll have learned a lot, really. And I don't I don't think a club of the, the calibre of United should be, you know, signing players off the back of a, a good European Championships. We've seen it happen before, of course, with, with World Cups for, you know, United have done it famously and Liverpool did it famously. But I'm, I'm not sure it's a long-term strategy to see a player have a good international tournament and then think, oh, we might sign him. So you'd like to think that they're not learning too much from uh, from what's going on around Europe at the moment. Yeah, perhaps the two things United have noticed last week is Paul Pogba and Victor Lindelof are good, aren't they? Why, why don't you use them more? But uh, we'll see what United's players have been playing uh, looking ahead as well. Samuel, there's an elephant in the room. Fans only really care about transfers, don't they? It's, so, as Ty said there, there wasn't much to go off in terms of Sancho not being in the squad, or maybe that, that is a story in itself, and Trippier at left-back as well. You did a piece yourself with you, when you came back on Monday. Where, where do United stand on transfers as of today, which is Wednesday the 16th of June? Well, I don't think like 25 years ago they'll be signing a Czech player who's just scored an outrageous chip. Uh, it, was, it was a greater goal than Karol Gaborski, who's the one against Scotland the other day, and I think we have to mention it just because of the offensive commentary that, that accompanied the goal at the time it was it was absolutely dreadful it didn't didn't matter whatever nationality you were it, it was just a, a great goal and and I think James McFadden was the co-commentator and mm. he, he scored some brilliant goals for France for Everton technically proficient goals but he, he tried to say he tried to take as much away from the goal as possible before concluding his uh, summary by saying you can't take anything away from him having just done that but it's. I think it's always. It was always going to be a quiet month this June for United because it is. It's a European Championship. There's the Copa America happening as well, but we're not really expecting United to be signing anyone who's who's participating in that. With Sancho, I certainly am more confident of that happening this year than last year, and I think most people probably thought it was going to happen last year but i suppose we all underestimated one how stubborn dortmund were and also how um uh, useless is, is is a bit harsh but just how it, it was it, as you said it all that united most clubs when they go to dortmund want to sign a player they get them 
yet the ones who didn't were united and that's kind of in keeping with their image over the last 10 years or so but Dortmund have been very open about you know having they need to cash in on, on the paid by it this summer and, and Sancho was the obvious one United still want him United have had a bit rejected as far as Sancho and his representatives are concerned it's hinges on the fee now. Uh, personal terms are pretty much done in principle. And I know that's an obvious thing to say. Every transfer hinges on a, on a transfer fee and it's down to United to make up that difference now. And it is all on them. If, if they don't sign Sancho, there's, there's only going to be one entity to blame for that and that'll be United. Uh, Trippier, again, he's tied up with the Euros. Uh, he, he has made plans to move back to Manchester. He Back in Manchester pretty quickly after Atletico Madrid season finished. His wife is pallying up with some of the partners of United players. Uh, I think it's the partners of Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. She's got quite close with, and that was before they went to the England game together on Sunday. It's little things like Trippier changing his mobile number to a UK number again. Uh, I, I don't think he wants to go back to Spain, even though he's, he's done very well in Madrid, having just won the league with Atletico and started every game he was available for last season. Uh, with Rafael Varane, that's also relatively quiet uh, because he's tied up with the Euros. Talks are ongoing. When when we say talks are ongoing, it doesn't mean they're holding dialogue every day or necessarily every week, but it's pretty obvious that United want to sign him. He would be the ideal uh, centre-back to bring in this summer. And again, it will just probably depend on the fee. Uh, I know Varane will command a pretty hefty salary because of his contract situation at Real Madrid where he's out of contract next year and he's, he's just one of the best centre-backs in the world. He's been one of the best centre-backs over the last 10 years so he's not going to be cheap uh, just going off the personal terms and Madrid will try and extract as much money as possible from United because they are hard up for cash and they're not going to want to undersell Varane as well just because he's only got 12 months left on his contract and seems destined to, to leave this summer. Who else is there? De- Declan Rice is obviously a player who's interested in United. United are interested in him. I, I just think that's that just seems so unfeasible this this summer because of his contract situation at West Ham, where he's got three more years left to run. I think you could justifiably say he's an eighty million pound, ninety million pound midfielder. United are not going to be spending that much money on on, on Declan Rice this summer when they've got Varane and. Sanjo deals and the works, they, they just can't afford it. If, if they somehow manage to get those three players, I think even John Murta would be surprised at, at them achieving that. Uh, and with, with Trippier, you don't look as Trippier... You, I don't think anyone's looking at Trippier as a guaranteed first-teamer. If he does join United, he's he's someone who will definitely improve the squad. And I think he, he's, he's got the assets to improve the first team as well, but he's clearly not going to cost anywhere near the amount as, as Sancho will or, or Varane will. With, again, there's going to be some bartering that goes on there because he's he's in a similar situation to Varane. He's got one year left on his contract and Atletico Madrid aren't going to want to make too much of a loss on him. I think he cost £20 million or €20 million Euros a couple of years ago when he moved there from Tottenham. So normally when I go on my two-week June holiday, United sign a player, but this this time I wasn't expecting them to sign a player because of the circumstances of the Euros and, and the pandemic as well. 
Yeah, of course there is that. That's the the line bit of mitigation. Of course, there's so many. I think even fans on social media have been quite understanding that you know there is a major international tournament going on, so you can't get too bunged up and, and demand signings so early on. Ty, we mentioned there that maybe this dream scenario United would get Varane, Sancho, Trippier into the squad, ideally by by the start of August, really, and have them in in their plans for for pre-season. Hypothetically, though, if United were to add those three players, but only those three players this summer, do you think that would be enough for them to mount a serious title challenge? I mean, they'll be heavily strengthening, bolstering the squad as well, but do you think that is enough, or do you think there's still someone else who'd be needed if United are to to finally go the full distance? I I think in an ideal world, you'd say that they probably need a midfielder, but... As we say, you know, we're entering the, the realms of the unrealistic there. And I think if they signed, you know, if they were to sign Trippier, Varane and Sancho this window, I think we'd have to say that's a, probably a nine out of 10 window for them, I think, really, because it is, you know, that, that's going to be a hundred probably £150 million outlay, maybe £180 million outlay. That'd be more than United have ever spent before in a transfer window in a pandemic when they've had 18 months without, without crowds at Old Trafford, really. So... You know, I think we would have to say that, that that would be a hugely successful window. And, you know, in an ideal world, we would say probably they do need another another midfielder. The midfielder, the midfield feels a bit uncertain at the moment. Obviously, Pogba didn't play there much last year. It doesn't feel like playing in a in a two in a four, two, three, one brings out the best in him. Um, and obviously McTominay and, and Fred, if just feels a bit too cautious to 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 win the league for me. But you know, I think if they were to line, if they were to sign Varane and Sancho, and you line up next year with you know Varane, Pogba, Fernandez, Cavani, Sancho in your team, that's probably five players who are at, at the elite level. You know, maybe you even add in Maguire to that to that list, given he's you know he improved considerably last season, and I think he, he's shown United and England how much they rely on him since he's been injured. So you know, I think if you've any any Premier League team that had Varane, Fernandez, Pogba, Sancho in the team would think we should be going closer. Yeah. So, you know, in an ideal world, United might want more. They might look at it and think we could do with a midfielder, but I think that's very unlikely to happen. And, and I think we'd call it a nine out of 10 window, at least if, if those three arrived. And on paper, you would think they, they won't be far away next season with that squad. Yeah, it's an interesting point, that tie-in. You, you almost see it every season. You know, when, when, they, when pundits, etc., and ourselves make these sort of pre-season predictions of where teams are going to finish, sometimes it can just be that like one sign that lifts everyone on this team and the midfield gets stronger because they've got a stronger defence behind them the keeper's mm-hmm. more confident people are trying things they wouldn't usually try you know we see Pogba when he's got that attack of freedom for France he's trying things he doesn't always look to try and do when he's in a United shirt so yeah it's, it's really interesting and hypothetical but I guess when you live in this video game age you just go on FIFA and sign four or five players and you know it's pretty easy what what needs to be done, but there is a limit to to what a team even like United can do this summer. But Samuel, on the subject of of additions, you know we've touched upon it there the midfielder. Do you not think that signing defensive midfielder should be moving higher up the priority list, seeing that not only would it add so much to the United team, but surely it could be a key factor in actually convincing Pogba to stay long term. I I'd have personally had it in the top two in terms of what they need should be going for this summer. I, I don't necessarily think Sancho should be as high up as, as United have made him and that's that's United's decision making. Last summer I think that was fair enough. The right wing was a priority. They've since invested best part of fifty million pounds into teenage right wingers. At this rate, I think it would be a surprise if Fecunda Palestri actually ever plays for United. But Ahmad has, has got potential. Greenwood has done well from there. They, they do need a forward. 
And I wouldn't necessarily just pigeonhole Sancho as a right winger. I mean, he can play from the left as well. But the fact that he can play across that whole front three is is ideal. But it's United who've outright said that he would be their right winger. But a centre-half is more essential than another forward. And certainly with that midfield area, even though they've got a number of options, and they are still good options, even though certain midfielders had pretty poor seasons. Van der Beek's season, his, his last year has, has been an absolute disaster. It's been a complete write-off. But they are lacking that that specialist. And I think Solskjaer is a little bit culpable for that because I think McTomney has got the capabilities to play that shielding role. But Solskjaer is always trying to extract more attacking instincts from him. And his goal-getting was impressive during a period last season he certainly in the Europa League final I mean Pogba was left in McTominay's shadow McTominay and Greenwood were probably United's best players and normally you'd think it should be the other way around it should be McTominay holding the fort and Pogba you know, surging forward and, and trying to make things happen and that was one of the problems in the final that they'd Solskjaer for whatever reason decided to withdraw Pogba to a deeper role and I'm not completely convinced that Fred's injury was was the sole reason behind that. I think Solskjaer just was too attack-minded and he should have been dropping Marcus Rashford, but we've, we've covered all that already. And it was interesting to speak to Owen Hargreaves on the eve of the final and he was saying United need to get into that City mindset of having two tens behind the striker. And it's a concept that really United should have been trialling a long, long time ago, years ago. It was never going to happen under Mourinho. It was certainly never going to happen under Van Gaal. But I suppose two years ago, when you and I, Rich, went on that tour of uh, Perth and Singapore and, and Shanghai, they should have been trying it then. And the surprise was that Solskjaer switched from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1 with Pogba, one of the two, next to McTominay. And although Pogba has played well there and can play well there, you are not maximising his his talents when he's that deep. And it was clear last season he played his best football coming from the left, but United have got a plethora of natural left-sided wingers to play there. And the obvious compromise, because let's face it, I don't think Solskjaer wants to be in a position where he's got Daniel James, Anthony Marshall and Marcus Rashford on the bench or in the stands, is to accommodate one of them and Pogba, and it's easily done. So it, it, it still feels like a stretch that they will sign an elite midfielder. And I would categorise Rice as elite. I mean, when he's interesting United City and Chelsea, I think he has to be, even though he's still a very young, a very young player, still only 22, I think. But if they if they're absolutely adamant on signing a midfielder this summer, I think that's the one area where they might have to be a bit clever, where the scouting department have to recruit someone who isn't exactly beeping on the radar, but could be an absolute steal. The, the, the great example, of course, in modern times is Steve Walsh spotting N'Golo Kante at, at Cannes in France. And he's, over the last six years, I don't think there's been a better central midfielder on the planet. And he's, he's the, the things he's won, is it's, it's a remarkable story and, and his performances are remarkable. But that kind of player doesn't always come along every decade even. And it's very difficult to identify them. But United did put that remit out a few years ago for uh, a new French scout to look for world-class French players who were going to improve the first team. Now they've been quite aggressive at academy level with uh, obviously Hannibal Mejbri coming in for 10 million euros from, from Monaco a couple of years ago. But 
everyone's still waiting for this world-class French player to come in to the first team. But if if they're going to if they're going to sign a world-class French player, which they're hoping to do with Varane, it's it's not going to be cheap, and they're certainly not going to be getting Conte or or um, Adrian Rabio, who is is a player who's interested them in the past. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Like you said, Tom, you'll always, and Ty said as well, there's always that feeling that there could be that wild card sign that catches all off guard. And I know Solskjaer spoke of it himself earlier in the year, saying he'd like to sit next to someone who no one's written about, although that is quite a hard achievement in, in the modern world of, of sort of social media journalism, particularly. Ty, on Sancho there, and, and Samuel alluded to himself, and I, when I was looking at transfer market yesterday, it was saying he actually made more appearances on the left than the right for, for Dortmund last season. So, you know, he's not necessarily just got to be coming in just to play the right wing every single week. But, you know, his proposed arrival, shall we say, what do you think that means for, for Mason Greenwood and for Ahmad? Because, as Samuel said, they're, they're both very young, exciting players who have both done really well in that role over the last few months. Signing someone who's, you know, two and a half years older than them, who's going to have to demand a starting place simply because of his fee, really... What do you think that means for their long-term future? Do you think either of them, maybe more so Ahmed, needs a loan move or something for one season if Sancho was to arrive? Or do you think he can try to keep all of them happy? I think it'd be wise to probably try and get a loan move somewhere for, for Ahmad. You know, we, obviously United spent huge money on him. We, we've talked about his potential, but he started two senior games of football in his life. You know, that that's still an incredibly raw player. And if United signed Sancho, it's hard to see how that improves considerably next year. So I think a loan move would would probably be sensible. It feels like he needs a season where he's starting 25, 30 games for, for someone. So I think that would, would probably make sense. Um, with Greenwood, you know, there's always talk about him moving into the centre. I, I'm still not entirely convinced he has the attributes to be a striker for United at the moment. Um, I think if you play in... You know, when they're playing a City or a Liverpool that, that have a high line, he's, he's probably ideal. But if you play in any of the other teams who are going to defend deep against United and going to have a deep midfield as well, I'm just not sure you want him with his back to goal, 20 yards from goal with, with two centre-halves um, up his arse, basically. I just don't think that's his I don't think that's his strengths. He hasn't got the, the physique to deal with that. And that's not where he's he's best. You know, he might feed off half chances in, in those positions, but you're not going to find him with crosses against six foot four centre-backs. If they're tight to him, you know, he, he's been at his best on the right when he's picked the ball up and been able to run at defenders and, and cut inside. And I think certainly in the short term, that's where he should stay. Solskjaer said that in a press conference and a Sunday section of his press conference towards the end of the season and said it's, uh, you know, he, he's better on the right for that reason at the moment. And him being a centre-forward is a, a few years off. And then I think that press conference on the Friday and then I think the following Sunday, he played him as a centre-forward. So, <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic Solskjaer. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't think that's really his, you know, if you look at him compared to Cav- a Cavani or a Kane or a Haaland, you know, he's he's not got the height or the physique of those. And I think those three are, are far better at, holding the ball up and, and bringing others into the game, which is, if you're playing a defence who sits on the 20-yard line, that's probably what you need. So I think he's got learning to do if he wants to fulfil that role in, in every Premier League game. And I, for now, I would keep him on the right, but obviously that would mean competition with Sancho. Samuel's mentioned the left side is, is incredibly well-stocked and you think Martial can play there, Rashford, Pogba has played there, Sancho can play there. So, you know, there's an awful lot of competition in those places. And I guess with, with United looking like they're not going to sign a striker this year, there might be games where Cavani does play there. There might be European games he plays there. And I'm sure that will help his development. But at the moment, in the short term, I don't I don't see him as the natural heir to, to Cavani at all. I thought 
if anything, I mean, the, you know, the, the striking situation is quite interesting with with Kane and Haaland because certainly the three the three Premier League clubs, you know, you're talking City, Chelsea, and United, all all need a striker and are all in for those three. But when the music stops, at least one of them is going to be left standing, and there's a there's a chance it might be United. Chelsea would probably see this summer and spending a 50, 60 million pound premium on on Haaland as as worth doing to avoid competition next year. So it might be that. United need a, a plan B and watching that Sweden-Spain game the other day and, and Alexander Isaac, who obviously United had a closer look in the, the Europa League as well. Someone like him, I think, would be a better solution than, than moving Greenwood at the moment. Someone who's six foot four, can, can deal with the physical stuff, but has got pace as well. And I think it'd be interesting to see who United do go for if they miss out on, on Kane and Haaland in, in that centre-forward role. But I'm just not sure that the answer is is Greenwood at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say Kiefer Moore, but I think I'll have to stay in <laughs> South Wales actually at the moment. You know, you know, you don't want him to get too too big for his boots. But it's interesting as well that like you said, Ty. I mean, Solskjaer, you know, was saying he wanted a striker who can break his nose and be that physical presence up front. And obviously, Greenwood's a very, very different solution to that. But then, as we saw last season, when Cavani can't play two games a week, you do miss that focal point up front. And another aspect as well is mostly United sort of young exciting wingers also to like to play on the left and cut inside as well so even the next generation yeah langa shoratire you know i mean if you want to put medjby in the first team they're all sort of playing for those same sort of places that are overstocked anyway samuel transfers done for now but uh, you'll be glad to know the fixtures are out i know you'll be counting down the days till united are back in action they'll be playing every team twice home and away this season as usual but uh <laughs> it is quite interesting you know leads at home on the first day is is, is a tough one particularly because it's effectively sort of a derby atmosphere and it could be in front of a, a full house as well at old trafford and then as well looking forward to that october november run of games where the united play all of the big six from last season as well as you know the, well, the traditional big six and you throw leicester in there as well and they've got champions league games to to add to the equation anything that you've sort of read into to that i know you said you did a piece earlier talking about the, the the turnover after those champions league games and how that could be something that goes against united in the season ahead yeah i don't think it's a coincidence the fixtures computer in every champions league i think it's every time united have been in the champions league in the in the post ferguson era one of the games after it has been against manchester city and that's the case this year as well um sometimes those things are random. I think sometimes it's pretty clear that they're they're done deliberately. But there's, I don't think there's any point anyone complaining about having to play this team or that team. I remember it was one of the first things David Moyes did was to complain about the the fixture schedule at the start of his very brief tenure because he had, I think they played Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City in their first five or six games in the 2013-14 season. But the, the one that stood out just because of the timing of it is the, the Liverpool away game. If, if United are to challenge for the title this season, which is the bare minimum that Solskjaer has got to come up with uh, as far as the Premier League is concerned, that that game is, is bigger than normal because I think it's scheduled for the weekend of March 19th. And that's the last weekend before the March internationals. Now, that could also be an FA Cup quarterfinal week. I don't think the FA have put the dates out for the FA Cup yet. So if United were Liverpool in the last day of the FA Cup, that game at Anfield is delayed until April. And then, again, if one of those two teams, if both those two teams are still going for the title, it just amplifies the the expectation, the, the tension around that game. And that might be the acid test for for this United squad if if they are in a position to, to challenge for the title because it's a ground where Ferguson said himself they, they lost the league there in, in 1995. Now, a lot of people might think, well, no, they lost the league at, at Upson Park on the final day of the season, but he 
he was still stewing over that defeat a few years later, uh, still moaning about Paul Lintz failing to, to track Steve McManaman. And I think in 1992, it was obviously a lot worse for United fans when that was the day they lost the title. Leeds won the league. That meant that it was going to tick to 26 years without the championship. And some just didn't expect to ever see United win the league again. It was that painful a day at Anfield. So March, April, that is the business end of the season. And if United are in a position to to possibly win the league, then that Liverpool game is going to be absolutely critical, whatever the result. I don't I don't see any other way for it. Alternatively, United might be complete also rans and they're just playing to finish in the top four. That's that's obviously something that we we don't know about. But the Champions League schedule is especially tough. Just just looking at the the teams they're playing against, I think it's it's obviously Liverpool, City, and Chelsea. They play. I think they play West Ham away after one, and they've got the tedious trek to Norwich as well. Although at least they can can go by air there. Some some of us are, are going to have to brave the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre by car uh, in, in early December. So, uh, But it, it feels it, it feels a lot more exciting, the fixture announcement this year than last year, because we're, we're going to have supporters back inside the stadium. I don't necessarily think full capacity in August. I think that's still a bit of a stretch, even though you've, you've got the All England Lawn Tennis Club getting to scoff their strawberries and cream in a, in a full house for the final next month. I think that's pretty clear class disc- class discrimination. It's it's pretty preposterous, but not surprising with this government. But you would hope that there'll be more supporters inside Old Trafford than there were for the Fulham game. And also, you want Leeds United fans in there as well, because that's that's what's really going to make that occasion, the, pros- the presence of Leeds fans and United fans at a top-flight match for the first time since, I think, February 2004 it would have been. Yeah, it, it seems tied, doesn't it? Maybe from the broadcasting sense of, of, of view, that they're, they're sort of putting their eggs in the basket that that's going to be the sort of grand spectacle on that opening weekend where it's a proper derby encounter with two feisty sets of fans and can turn into a proper match, you know, that we've, we've not seen for, for so long now in, in the Premier League, even after we did have sporadic sort of fans last season at stages. But, Ty, for you, were there any other fixtures which did stand out or any particular ground you're looking forward to hopefully visiting at, at some stage next season? I think just generally having having crowds back from a selfish perspective, Brentford, I guess, looking forward to. I think that's need Brentford to, to tick back into to 20 Premier League grounds and uh, and move into mid to high 70s, I think, for the 92. So from a selfish point of view, uh, that one would be on there. Um, beyond that, I think the start for United is, is absolutely massive, given that run of games in October and November. They've started both seasons under Solskjaer really badly. There was mitigating factors last year with that pre-season, obviously, but... I think they won two of their first six last year. The year before, they won two of their first nine in the league. And in both of those seasons, they lost to Crystal Palace early on in both. Um, They lost to Tottenham and Arsenal at home last year. Drew with Southampton and Wolves the year before and and lost to some of the mediocre opposition. Can't remember who it was now. But generally, they've started the season poorly and have dropped points against teams you wouldn't expect them to drop points to. And if that happens this season, given what they've got in October and November, then, I mean, they'll be out of the title race by by the time the clocks go back. And you just can't afford that. I've spoken on the podcast a few weeks ago that I think I think the Premier League is going to be really competitive next year. You would expect Liverpool to improve for, for having some centre-backs. You, you Chelsea look pretty pretty impressive under Tuchel. And if they were to, you know, if they were to sign Haaland, say, then... They become an even an even better proposition. I think you're potentially looking at, at four of the the five or six favourites for the Champions League in the Premier League top four, and I think it could be a really competitive title race. 
but from what we've seen in recent seasons, in in normal seasons, it could take a points total in the 90s again. It could take winning 30 of 38 games to, to win the title. And if it's going to take 30 wins, you can't afford to start the season by failing to beat Villa at home or Everton at home or Leeds at home or or dropping points at Southampton. So I think by seven games in, when United head into that busy run of fixtures, we'll know, I think, whether they're contenders or not. Because if they've won six or seven, or maybe even seven or seven, which is entirely doable, then we'll know they're in a title race and that run of games won't look as daunting and they can afford to, to take a few draws there. If they've started badly again and won only three of those seven, then forget it. It's it's going to be over already at that point. So I think it's vital that they start well this year, which is something they've not managed to do so far under Solskjaer. Yeah, exactly. That autumnal run, of course, it could be the undoing of the season, but it could be the making of the season because United yeah. come through that relatively unscathed and confidence is high. Other teams around them have dropped points. They could be in a really good position heading into that new year and have that big psychological boost, as, as you said, Tyler. They've not, not had the social before. They've always been playing catch-up, haven't they? So if they can get to a stage in the season where they're sort of the trendsetters and leading the way, that could be a huge boost for the side. I guess to finally answer on, Samuel, we'll come to you for the tricky questions. United fans who are basically you know patiently refreshing their social media, typing in out stance shows every tweet we put out. When when do you actually expect United to, to sort of get a move on with any sort of business this summer? Do you think it will just be when the European Championship finishes and when the, the players who are involved are, are not in action anymore? Or or could you still see some deals getting closer even though the tournament's still ongoing? I think it's possible to make headway without actually getting the deal done. Um it's it's obviously possible to make headway without actually getting down to the the finer details or, or actually getting the player in the building to do their medical. I, I think certain camps just close shops. I think if, if Sancho said to go Southgate, do you mind if I go to Mayfair to United's office? I think Southgate would take a pretty dim view of that. I don't think there's any danger of that happening anytime soon either. But in 2014, they, they got... I think Luke Shaw signed after he came back with England, who were eliminated at the group stage. So that was a deal that was able to be concluded in in late June. Uh, and Herrera signed around the similar time as well, uh, because they just triggered his his release clause at Athletic Bilbao. Which is why I think what it's a little bit frustrating for us because when we talk about transfers, it's almost time to talk with a certain demographic of support anyway, as if they're school children, and you have to spell it out word by word. And the fact of the matter is there's been very, very little business by the Premier League club so far. Liverpool have made a big signing in Canate from RB Leipzig, but he had release clause. When United signed Dallow and Fred three years ago, uh, both of them done pretty much in early June, they both had release clauses. So it's not just a case of bidding a high number and expecting it to be accepted like you do on Football Manager or FIFA, and then it can get done within the space of five minutes or so. And I think some football fans genuinely think it is as simple as that, uh, which is, is pretty remarkable. Certain things shouldn't take as long as they do. Uh, some things get done really swiftly. Eric Bay was one that came out of nowhere and was done almost as soon as we'd, we'd heard of him, really, in, in 2060. But I think with someone like Sancho... United you know, within the next month they should be expecting to to get that done because what we're on we're on the 16th of June today the Euros will be over this time next month if United hadn't made a signing this time next month then the impatience will be probably at an all-time high uh, because you do expect 
reinforcements to have been signed off by then. I think the case of Fred, they they just announced a deal and then for, for whatever reason, might have been because of a work permit, they didn't actually announce the signing until a couple of weeks later while the tournament was, World Cup was, was actually going on. So these things can happen, but obviously players need to go through medicals and certainly Jane Sancho, Rafael Varane, Paul Torres, Declan Rice, whoever, they have not, none of these players have had medicals at Carrington or medicals overseen by United medical personnel in, in London or wherever they may be based. So, yeah, it, it was a tricky question. I'll give you that. Ty, finally for you, how big are some weaknesses for, for United in terms of, you know, they had that restructuring, they had John Murta and, and Darren Fletcher appointed to their roles early in the year. How, how big is so much chances for them to, to really make a statement because, of course, as Samuel said as well, in past summers, yes, there have been exceptions where deals have been done quite early on. They've tended to be sort of for those wild card signings, but the bigger signings have always seemed to be dragged out right to the end of the window. How, how big a sort of statement of intent do you think it would be if United could get Sancho done and dusted early? Yeah, I think it would be a, a statement of intent, but realistically, it's it's not the deal's not going to happen at least until after. Um, until after the Euros, even even if it's announced or a fees agree with Dortmund. But I think it's a massive window. It's it's easily the biggest transfer window of, of Solskjaer's reign. You know, they, they've made progress in, in two successive seasons now. It's been relatively slow progress. Um, if they're going to win the league next year, then it, it needs to quicken up. It feels like Solskjaer needs to win a trophy next year. I think if it goes five years without a trophy, he might be under a fair bit of pressure. And it's... You know, it's very it's very easy to to stand still without even realising in the Premier League or go backwards. And you know, United finished second last season. They took advantage of of Liverpool's fall from grace. But as you said, the the competition is going to be more fierce this year, I think. And while United will will be looking at closing the gap to City and winning the league, I think they need to be keeping a watchful eye on on what happens behind them as well. Because I you know I think it's that top four, I think it could finish pretty much any order, and it would be no, it wouldn't take much for United to to regress even just a little bit and fail to get one major deal over the line, and suddenly a nine out of ten window becomes a five out of ten window, and they finish fourth, and they're probably looking for a new manager next summer. So I think it's a a significant window, easily the biggest window of of the Solskjaer era, and it's one they they just got to get right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. And as always, stick with us on the Manchester Evening News for all the latest Manchester United transfer news over the next few weeks. So finally, all I have to say is thank you, Ty, and thank you, Samuel, for joining us today. Thanks, Rich. And thank you very much at home for listening once again. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Please do leave us a review as well. We'll be back next time.